Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with some Republican political theater, Southern Border Edition. Move on to Speaker Johnson's sussy relationship with Dingus Khan and move on to our latest in our ongoing docuseries, Even More Reasons Why Christian Nationalism is a Stupid Idea. <laughs> Let's begin, shall we? Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard the clip from Civil War revisionist and Republican presidential hopeful Nikki, I'm not Pakistani Haley, because it sounds whiter, of course, when I say Nikki, says America has never been a racist country. Well, I hate to point out the obvious, but Nikki should know better considering she changed her name to appeal to her base. But then again, no one ever accused the former South Carolina governor of dealing with reality. The fact that the Republican Party has been going through a white revival since 2015 is becoming apparent. They replaced their white sheets with red baseball caps, and now they're saying the quiet part out loud. Case in point, here's Texas Governor Greg Abbott complaining about how he would love to murder migrants who are seeking asylum at the southern border, but those gosh darn murder laws are preventing him. What is the maximum amount of pressure that you as governor can can implement to to protect the border? Well, we're, we are using every tool that can be used from building a border wall to uh, building these uh, border barriers uh, to uh, passing uh, this law that I signed that led to another lawsuit by the Biden administration where I signed a law uh, making it illegal for somebody to enter Texas from another country. Uh, and so, and and they're subject to arrest uh, and subject to deportation. And so, we are deploying every tool and strategy that we possibly can. The only thing that we're we're not doing is we're not uh, shooting people who come across the border uh, because, of course, the Biden administration would charge us with murder. You well, duh, Yosemite Greg, shooting brown people just because they want to become Americans is murder and racially motivated murder at that. And I don't know about you, but this comes as no surprise. Governor Hot Wheels previously filled the Rio Grande with floating murder balls covered in barbed wire meant to keep brown people out of Texas. And when he got flack for that in the press, he let this happen. Now to our southern border, the battle between the Biden administration and Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott is escalating. The state's National Guard blocking U.S. Border Patrol agents from a crucial boating ramp in Eagle Pass. We know three migrants drowned in the Rio Grande after help could not reach them in time. Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar tweeting that three migrants, a female adult and two children drowned in the Rio Grande after Border Patrol personnel were denied access to the park to render aid to the migrants. The group of migrants were reportedly in distress last night and they attempted to cross the river. Border Patrol agents were able to communicate with Texas military officials at the park's entrance who said they couldn't grant them access to the migrants even in the event of an emergency and the three migrant bodies were later discovered by Mexican officials. A woman, two children died crossing the Rio Grande mm -hmm. and this is the part I want to focus on as Border Patrol says it was prevented from intervening. Um, they were barred by Texas officials physically barred. Yep, that actually happened. 
Because if you can't shred people to pieces in a river and shooting them is still illegal, then why not let them drown? That is the Republican mindset. And for Governor White Dragon, this woman and the two children that were with her weren't people because they aren't white. So ordering the National Guard to stand back and stand by while they drowned just meant three less brown people that he would have to deal with later on. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, Republicans are currently in the midst of their latest political stunt, trying to shut down the government unless they get their unapologetically racist legislative response to immigration, affectionately known as H.R. 2, passed. Or as Florida's only sane electoral decision in decades, Representative Jared Maskowitz put it during a recent House oversight hearing. You want to talk about a wall? They're a wall. They don't want to help kids. By the way, they don't want to solve this issue either. Don't listen to me. Just listen to the speaker who was caught on a call the other day saying that we can't solve the border crisis until after the election. Here's Congressman Troy Niels giving it all away. He's talking about immigration. Let me tell you, I'm not willing to do a darn thing right now to help a Democrat, to help Joe Biden's approval rating. I will not help the Democrats try to improve this man's dismal approved ratings. I'm not going to do it. He's saying he's not going to do anything on the border. And he's from Texas, which needs help. He's not going to do anything because he doesn't want to give Joe Biden a win. You have members of this committee that have threatened to vacate the speaker again if they do anything on the border. I'm willing to do stuff on the border, but they're not willing to do it because they want to use it to raise money, they want to use it to politicize it, but they don't want to solve the issue. Of course not. That's why Republicans voted against two border fixes proposed by the Biden administration. Since this happens to be an election year and the economy is doing well, at least on paper, the Republicans have resorted to focusing all of their tiny mind power to making the southern border the reason why everyone should vote Republican in 2024. And I don't know about you, but this is not only stupid, it's blatantly obvious what this is really about. But for those of you in the back, here is Texas representative and all around amazing human being, Jasmine Crockett, to explain. Republicans can't do the basic job that we are supposed to do. They can't figure out how to do a budget because we're six months behind. But somehow they are going to solve this complex issue of immigration. President Biden has tried to give state and local governments and nonprofits federal resources to support temporary food, shelter, and other services, but MAGA House Republicans are refusing to give those cities and states those resources. President Biden has tried to put 1,300 more Border Patrol agents at the border to help, but Republicans have obstructed that request. Honestly, I can't tell if y'all are for anything other than obstruction and cruelty. And I think Jasmine might be onto something. Because it doesn't make any sense to complain about immigration while you are refusing to fix the problem. But here we are. And that is because Republicans don't really want to fix the problem. They want to complain about it. They want to campaign on it. They want to ask for donations because of it. Oh, and most important of all, Republicans like House Speaker and Christian nationalist Mike Johnson want to use the southern border as a conversation starter when chumming it up with his favorite political loser, Dolt 45. 
the president actually just got off the phone with me right before the show, and he said he has spoken to you about this deal and that he is against it, and he urged you to be against this deal. He was extremely, President Trump was extremely adamant about that. Your reaction to that, given the fact that, look, he already, he knows how to do this enforcement stuff. You don't need some new bill coming out of the, uh, the Senate to get the border enforced. Yeah, President Trump is not wrong. He and I have been talking about this um, uh, pretty frequently. I talked to him the uh, night before last about the same subject. Is that we have to have H.R. 2 or the functional equivalent thereof. Why? Because it has, we reform asylum and the broken parole process. We restore the Trump era remain in Mexico policy, which is essential, and you end catch and release. Does the fact that President Trump, uh, that he stands so strongly against this deal, is that important to you? Well, I mean, again, President Trump and I have talked about this. We don't know what the deal is. We haven't seen it yet. That We need the elements of H.R. 2. We have to make these changes to solve the problem. That's what we have to do to save the country, to help save the country is turn I down the flow a, and get all these yeah. illegals down. Ah, uh, yes, H.R. 2. The Republicans' overly racist manifesto for making America white again by stopping the brown people from coming in. H.R. 2 has some insanely bigoted proposals, such as the accelerated removal of all unaccompanied children to Mexico, not making sure that they have any adults with them when they get there, getting rid of funding for legal representation of migrants as they go through the asylum process, and let's not forget, forcing migrants to remain in Mexico while their asylum request is being processed. And this from the party that identifies as pro-life. I think it's time that they added a color qualifier to that moniker and just embrace the fact that these people are pro-white life. And that's it. Why hide it anymore? And another thing, why in the fuck is our current House Speaker discussing work-related issues with an ex-disgruntled employee who is currently indicted on 91 criminal charges against his former employer, including stealing and probably selling government secrets? Yeah, well, I think it's worth exploring this BFF situationship between Smalls Johnson and Eric's dad. So here's how the third and future not Speaker of the House explained his marriage of convenience to a CNN reporter. President Trump and I are, are very close. We work very closely together. I was one of his impeachment defense lawyers. As you know, you covered that whole saga. Um, I, was a, I was a very close ally of his in Congress. How often do you speak to him? Uh, pretty frequently now. Yeah, every, I don't know, few days or so. I mean, does he give you advice on, on leading this fractious House Republican Party as it is right now? No, we, we talk about policy. We talk about uh, a lot of things that are pending for the country, the, his campaign and things that are going on. I'm sorry, what the actual fuck? Uh, for those of you who skipped civics in high school, Jesus Johnson is now third in line for the presidency, and he is currently talking to the leader of the most fascist and poorly educated movement America has ever seen about work problems. So I guess it's safe to say that whatever I wish I were Jesus's Johnson says or does could be or probably is sanctioned by Donnie Two Scoops before we ever hear about it. All the Republican agendas, legislative proposals, talking points. Apparently all of this needs to get an overbronze seal of approval 
or nobody hears about it. And I don't know about you, but that's terrifying to know for so many reasons, but mostly because Cognitive Decline Dawn is going around maggot country saying absolutely insanely stupid shit like this. Is it time for to protect our home with a giant dome? Well, over the weekend, Donald Trump. So he floated the idea of a dome over America to protect us from our enemies. And you know those domes are starting to work. I didn't like it when Ronald Reagan suggested it because we didn't have the technology. We do have the technology now. And we're going to build a giant dome over our country to protect us from a hostile source. And I think it's a great thing. And it's going to all be made in the United States. And that's something that I consider productive. <laughs> what the shit? Did Air Force One just suggest creating national security measures based on a subplot from Avengers Age of Ultron? <laughs> I don't want to hear the man was not meant to meddle medley. I see a suit of armor around the world. Sounds like a cold world time. I've seen colder. Peace in our time. Imagine that. <laughs> you know, someone should tell Dunscap Donnie to stay awake during his in-flight movie next time he wants to use a pop culture reference during his old man rambles time on stage. <laughs> Because I saw that movie in its entirety several times, and I can guarantee you that building a suit of armor around the world or America isn't the idea that you think it is, old yeller. And another thing, it's a really bad idea, this notion that a U.S. president should have absolute immunity. Here's what Donald Trump has been posting recently on his Truth Social account just within the last few hours. Quote, a president of the United States must have full immunity, without which it would be impossible for him or her to properly function. Any mistake, he writes, even if well-intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity. Do you agree with your lawyers what they said on Tuesday, that you should not be prosecuted or could not be prosecuted if you ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent? I say this. On immunity, very simple. If a president of the United States does not have immunity, he'll be totally ineffective because he won't be able to do anything because it will mean he'll be prosecuted, strongly prosecuted perhaps, uh, as soon as he leaves office by, his, by the opposing party. So a president of the United States, I'm not talking just me, I'm talking any president has to have immunity. Oh, yeah, totally. You're just asking for a friend. We got it. You know, if Loose Lips Don has a superpower, it's ratting himself out every time he pontificates. Mayor McTreason's march for presidential immunity is all about covering his own ass, which also explains why he's crying about absolute immunity, considering that fat bastard's got a lot of ass to cover. <laughs> Because apparently, taking $7.8 million from foreign governments like China, Saudi Arabia, and 18 others while occupying the White House should be just a normal day on Capitol Hill. Or maybe knowing that one of the lackeys you recently pardoned has a murder fantasy for two particular House Democrats would be something a president maybe could Safe for later, since anything goes when you have absolute immunity. Oh, and let's not gloss over that presidential pardon power. 
the first most urgent threat, the pardon power, because I think once a president can render himself above the law, that leads to a weaponization of the Department of Justice. It all comes down to his massive control over the federal government and what he can tell people working for the government to do to enact that retribution ag agenda against his perceived enemies. It's not going to be limited to the out groups that you dislike. It is coming for everyone and Republicans more than everyone. anyone should understand that yeah. because the people being targeted for investigations, yeah. top of the list, are people who work for him. That's right. Like the Nixon on my back tattoo, monocle wearing ass butt Roger Stone, who received a presidential pardon after being convicted of lying to investigators, obstructing an investigation and witness tampering. Kidney Stone is now under investigation with the FBI after being caught on tape saying he wanted to have two congressmen, Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell, killed for questioning his obviously sussy pardon back in 2020 and wanting to open an investigation into how fucking stupid that was and how in the fuck did that even happen? But why stop there when the commander with cheese can call upon his fourth meal warriors to storm whatever building he wants and pardon all of them for a job well done? Because all of this presidential immunity talk is really just about an extension of the MAGA cult that comb over Caligula has been cultivating since 2015 when he descended from that gold-plated escalator. And the Iowa caucus proves my point. 55% of Iowa's caucus goers identified as white, born again, or evangelical Christian. And among them, 53% chose Donald Trump. But according to Public Religion Research Institute, only 14% of Americans, one four in general, are white evangelicals. However, they are heavily concentrated in the Republican Party. White evangelical voters now fully embracing not only Donald Trump, but also trending toward a full-throated embrace of Christian nationalism. More about who evangelicals think they are. This claim that this country is theirs, right? That they are the rightful inheritors, the rightful owners of this country. Two thirds of white evangelicals qualify as Christian nationalists who think that, for example, uh, the U.S. law should be based on the Bible and the U.S. should declare itself to be a exclusively Christian nation. We have a majority of white evangelicals who agree uh, that uh, this nation was ordained by God to be a promised land for European Christians. And that's not hyperbole, folks. When Moron the Goblin from Georgia repeatedly calls herself a Christian nationalist in public, and the current Speaker of the House reminds everyone every chance he gets that his worldview comes from the Christian Bible, we should believe them the first time. What we're talking about is Project 2025. Now, I have talked about this in previous episodes, but it bears repeating. According to the New York Times, Trump and his allies are planning a, quote, sweeping expansion of presidential power should the former president retake the White House. Trump and his enablers plan to, quote, alter the balance of power by increasing the president's authority over every part of the federal government. If Trump wins, they plan on stacking the government with Trump loyalists, regardless of their personal or professional limitations. One thing that he's laser focused on is dismantling the so-called administrative state in order to consolidate 
and centralized power in the executive branch, essentially doing away with our system of checks and balances and doing away with the independence of federal government agencies. Team Trump would seek to bring independent agencies like the FCC under direct presidential control, refuse to spend congressional funds on programs he doesn't like, and remove protections for federal workers so they could more easily be replaced if they oppose Trump's agenda. Ah, so now I understand why the danger yam wants a president to have absolute immunity. He doesn't want to be prosecuted for declaring martial law over protests like the ones that immediately responded to that racist disaster he called a Muslim ban the former presidents tried to enact in 2017. But I'm sure Schittler would rather have every protester shot on Fifth Avenue because when you're a president, you have absolute immunity. And besides, with evangelicals having morphed over the last 40 years, thanks to Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Swaggart, into the cringiest white ethnostate army of Republican Jesus freaks, Cheeto Von Dictator now has a ready-to-go group of religious zealots he can pardon for doing his dirty work. Donald Trump has not only more than doubled his support from evangelicals, he has also redefined what it means to be one. More than any figure in American history, the 45th president transformed evangelical from spiritual signifier into political punchline, exposing the selective morality and ethical inconsistency and rank hypocrisy that had for so long lurked in the subconscious of the movement. Definitionally speaking, evangelicalism has far more to do with partisan political identification than it does with any particular theology or any real religious conviction. And when you go to these Trump rallies, it is a sort of transcendent religious experience that is rooted in notions of shared identity. And they are very much coming there to pursue a sort of salvation. It may not be a biblical salvation, but it is a salvation that's rooted in this same sense of something that they can't find anywhere else. And they're coming back for it. And that's not just some guy's opinion. We have all seen maggots interviewed at Girth Vader's rallies, explaining on camera that he's saying what they're thinking, that he is chosen by their God, and that he is going to restore this country to its Christian roots. For the maggot voters, Jabba the Gut is like a really fat second coming, and the only way that they see they can make America the country they want it to be, where evangelical white people have dominion, is through this bumbling idiot. <laughs> no wonder they love the poorly educated. And by the way, where would they get an idea like that? Well, it's coming from their religious leaders, Republican politicians and Fox Not A News Channel segments like this one featuring the sleepiest former head of HUD under the Dunce administration, Mr. Ben Carson. Well, you know, you, you, you think about the Bible and uh, King David. Most of those people probably, if they were alive back in those days, would have said, oh, what a horrible guy. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. God uses different people for different times. You need somebody with a Manhattan business type of uh, personality to deal with the administrative state. Um, but just to be clear, uh, you're comparing him to King David? I, I, the you're volume is very to, low. You're, you're, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You are, just to put it up for the record, you're comparing him to King David, and, and that worked out well for King David, and that this is another King David, right? I don't know about him 
king, uh, but uh, certainly he has some policies that are very worthwhile. Well, I am sure that there are a lot of people who would beg to differ. And it's funny he should compare King Baby Coward to King David, who had the husband of the woman he wanted to bang killed with all this talk about presidential immunity being absolute. I'm thinking perhaps Alina Haba's husband might want to be concerned about his own safety now that she's the star attorney for the next case that Sulk Hogan is going to lose. Because something hilarious happened during the second defamation of E. Jean Carroll lawsuit hearing. This is a, a moment that she has with the judge where she is reading a document in court. The judge says, what exhibit is this, Ms. Haba? Ms. Haba, I'm trying to get it in, Your Honor. I have to ask about it. The judge, guess what? You may not read from a document that's not in evidence. Ms. Haba, sure, let me get it in. The judge, no, we're going to take a break now, during which you should refresh your memory about how it is you get a document into evidence. Throughout her testimony, he was leaning over, talking to his lead attorney, Alina Haba. Now, at one point in a break when the jury was out of the room, uh, Carol's attorney raises to the judge saying that she could hear him saying words such as con job, saying this was false and a lie. And so she raised this issue to the judge. The judge had asked Trump to be careful about what he was saying, but it continued. And then again, later on, this came up again. And the judge had this very tense exchange with the former president in court. The judge telling him, if he disregards court orders, Mr. Trump, I hope I don't have to consider excluding you from the trial. I understand you're probably eager for me to do that. Trump replied audibly, I would love it. The judge said, I know you would. You just can't control yourself in this circumstance, apparently. That day in court, Donnie the Menace banged his hands on the table where the defense was seated, so much so that he had bloody bruises or secondary syphilis sores, depending on your internet research. And this is the unstable genius we're all supposed to believe is ordained by an almighty Christian sky daddy to run this country. Run it where exactly? Into the ground? Or how about environmental and socioeconomic disaster because if Republicans and their wealthy corporate overlords have anything to say about it, it's down with the Chevron difference. Conservative Supreme Court heard a major case that could potentially roll back a 40-year-old ruling that supports government regulatory power. A 1984 decision that created something called the Chevron deference, where federal judges grant federal agencies latitude on how to interpret legislative statutes that are vague. Judges are supposed to follow a two-part process, examine the congressional language, and if the intent is clear, the matter is settled. If the language is ambiguous, the ruling court must defer to the agency on how the law should be carried out. And based on what we heard today, the anti-regulation argument seemed to fly with the majority of Supreme Court justices, including the man seemingly hired to kill Chevron, Judge Neil, Justice Neil Gorsuch. Gorsuch, who is the son of Ronald Reagan's EPA administrator, who worked to slash air and water quality regulations, has said that Chevron deserves a tombstone. Justices Alito, Kavanaugh, and Thomas seem to share that sentiment in arguments today. Well, that sounds like a dystopian nightmare I'd rather avoid. Too bad for us, Nepo baby of the OG regulation Hunter General and Trump-appointed Justice Neil Gorsuch and his maggot friends on the bogus SCOTUS were especially selected to dismantle our country 
from its very foundation. Beer Kavanaugh, Clan Karen Hood Bennett, and Neil Gorsuch have joined the Legion of Doom side of the Supremes to form a cross-shaped barrier between Americans and their constitutional rights. All these idiots without the savant part were handpicked by the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, two far-right organizations that have focused their attention on Christianizing America one judge at a time. So, in case you were wondering why you should give a shit if Chevron has a deference or not, and how it might directly affect you, here is attorney and political writer Ellie Mistal to explain. To be very clear, what this case is about is power. The way it is right now and the way it's been for the past 40 years, experts get to fill in the gaps. People who know things get to fill in the gaps. Science and math and facts get to fill in the gaps. What the conservatives want is to take that power away from the president, away from the executive agencies, and give it to themselves. So there will still be regulation after this case. It's just that Neil Gorsuch gets to decide how much mercury is, is, is allowed to be in the air. And John Roberts gets to decide how many people can die in a thresher mill accident before we declare it un unsafe. And Brett Kavanaugh gets to decide what banking regulations really should matter. And this is part of the general conservative movement. They understand that judges hold lifetime power and are not subject to the whim of the people. And so destroying the regulatory state through judges yeah. is now preferable for conservatives as opposed to trying to win their arguments at the ballot box where they often fail. I hope you understand where all of this is going. America is a nation built on the principles of law and accountability. We created laws to govern our society and if you break a law you suffer the consequences. But in the fever dream Christian nation formerly known as America, Laws will be megaphones for Christian principles, and punishments will be administered on a biblical proportion. Going back to Neil Gorsuch, yes, his mother was hired by the Reagan administration to head the EPA with the express purpose of destroying the agency from the inside out, but she ultimately failed because Republicans then were focused on gaining presidential power in order to enact religious rule. Today's Republicans are maggots, and Neil Gorsuch was handpicked for one job. But don't take my word for it. Here is former White House counsel under the Dunce administration, Don McGahn, to tell us why Neil Gorsuch is very, very special. Don McGahn, this is Trump's former White House counsel, saying that they actually looked for judges who would deregulate, which is why they picked Neil Gorsuch. There's a... Uh major effort in the Trump administration, coherent and strategic and articulated, to try to do something about reigning in the regulatory state. And Justice Gorsuch is an expert on those kinds of issues in the Chevron doctrine. T t talk about that. Well, it's not a coincidence. Uh, it's a part of a larger, a larger plan, I suppose. There is a coherent plan here where actually the judicial selection and the, and the, re and the deregulatory effort are really the flip side of the same coin. This is why elections matter. Neil Gorsuch was hand-chosen by Leonard Leo, financier of Clarence Thomas and head of the Federalist Society. Leo liked that Neil has a particular set of skills when it comes to deregulation and freeing corporations to pollute the planet, poison their customers, and get away liability-free. 
And here we have the Christian nationalist agenda hard at work, making America unsafe again. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. But if that's not enough, you can catch me once a week on the podcast Face Palm America with host Beowulf Rockland, where we make fun of the news in real time on a recorded podcast. Follow this show on social media wherever you can find us. And This Week Again is always available for your listening pleasure on places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for listening to this show. Today for now.